Thank God for that. We've already sent that payment to the bank. We're beginning to work on the principal there. Uh, the first offering, the big offering will be on September the 12th, and we're just working on those things. Uh, I've been working with Dr. Carroll. He's, he's releasing that land to us over here. We're about to pull that over. The old Sonny's property, we're about to obtain that, put that over here. We're just going to continue to expand everything that God has for us. So we're in a good season. It's a good season in the body of Christ. Since the last time I saw you, which was last Sunday, uh, Karen and I celebrated 37 years of marriage. Isn't that awesome? She's over there. I just—I said that because she's still in the room. I just want y'all to know how how good I am, you know, with her. So, so praise the Lord. No, 37 incredible years. I finally let her catch me, and so we've been married for 37 years. Amen. Hallelujah. It's, it's been good. Well, I feel like I got a little bit of word left in me today, just to finish out this series that we've been in. Then next week we'll begin to move into something different. So if you don't mind, would you just stand to your feet and grab your Bibles this morning or your, your phone or whatever you use, your app. Hey, don't forget this Tuesday now we start back with corporate prayer. Corporate prayer starts this Tuesday. We go from 6.30 to 7.30. So if you would, just when you get off work, however you come, it's, it's not a, you don't have to dress up for it. Just, just be dressed. <laughs> Just, just come in, and uh, we're going to have, we have, a, we have just one hour of prayer time where we worship a little bit, and then we pray. I believe the key to success, to ministry, to life, to regions, to territories, is prayer. It's prayer. So we're just going to begin to start that on uh, this coming Tuesday at 630. We'll go from 630 to 730. So that starts back, and we begin to just move forward in the things of God. Amen. All right, go with me, if you would, please, to Ezekiel chapter 47. Ezekiel 47. I'm just going to read these verses to you one more time. This will be the last time that we do it in this particular series. But I want to make sure that I get it in your hearing, get it in your spirit. Make sure that you hear what God is saying in this particular time in the life of this house. Ezekiel 47, verse number 1. It says, and then he brought me back to the door of the house, and behold, the water was flowing from under the threshold of the house toward the east, for the house faced east. And the water was flowing down from under, from the right side of the house, from the south side of the altar. And he brought me out by the way of the north gate and led me around on the outside of the outer gate by the way of the gate that faces east. And behold, the water was trickling from the south side. When the man went out towards the east with a line in his hand, he measured a thousand cubits, and he led me through the water, water reaching the ankles. And again he measured a thousand, and he led me through the water, water reaching the knees. And again he measured a thousand, and it led me through the water, water reaching the loins, or the waist. And again he measured a thousand, and it was a river that I could not ford or cross, for the water had risen enough water to swim in, a river that could not be forded. I don't know about you, but that's the kind of river I'm looking for. Then he said to me, son of man, have you seen this? Then he brought me back to the bank of the river. Now when I had returned, behold, the bank of the river, there were very many trees, one on, the other, one, on one side and one on the other. Then he said to me, these waters go out towards the eastern region, and they go down into the Arabah. Then they go towards the sea, being made to flow into the sea. And the waters of the sea 
become fresh. It's the same translation for the word heal. And it, will become, and, it, and it will come about that every living creature which swarms in every place where the river goes will live. And there will be very many fish, for these waters go there, and others become fresh. So everything will live wherever the river goes. And it will come about that the fishermen will stand beside it from Engedi to England. And there they will place, be a place for the spreading of the nets. Their fish will be according to their kinds like the fish of the great sea, very many, but its swamps and its marshes will not become fresh or healed, and they will be left for salt. Last verse, number 12. And by the river on its banks, one on one side, one on the other, will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither, and their fruit will not fail, and they will bear every month because the water flows from the sanctuary. In other words, you're not going to miss any seasons. Every month it's going to produce because the water flows from the sanctuary and there will be fruit and there will and their and their fruit will be for food and their leaves for healing. This is the point we've been making. Notice in our passage that we read that the water was flowing from the sanctuary water was flowing out of the sanctuary and everywhere that water went it brought life it brought restoration and it brought healing amen so now if you would just real quickly let's look in uh psalms and i just want to put this last verse into your hearing one more time and then we're going to get started psalms 85 verse number six he says will you not yourself talking about the lord here will you not yourself Revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you. Will you not revive us again? That's been our prayer. That's been our commission here. That's what we've been doing for the last four or five weeks. We're asking God to revive us again. The only hope for our families is for us to be revived again. The only hope for our nation it's for the church to be revived again. So look at somebody around you and tell them, we're going to believe God to be revived. Come on, just tell them, we're going to believe God to be revived. Now I want you to find about three or four people that you hadn't even spoke to yet and tell them, we're going to go deeper now. And just tell them, we're going to go deeper. We're going to go deeper. The water is getting deeper. We're going to go deeper in the name of the Lord. Father, I thank you this morning for the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Thank you today for what you're going to do in men and women's lives. Thank you for those that are listening, by the way, of social media, radio. Thank you today, Lord, that as we begin to preach and teach, Holy Spirit, wear me as it were like a coat. Let me speak the oracles of God. Let me speak what it is that you have to say to your church. Lord, give us ears to hear, a heart to respond. Lord, I thank you for what you're going to do, and we give you all the glory, the honor, and the praise in advance now. In Jesus' name I pray, and everybody together said amen. And amen and amen. God bless you this morning. You can be seated. As you know, in our text, Ezekiel gets this vision of water that's flowing east from the threshold of the temple, or we would call it in modern-day language, it's flowing from the church. This flow of water that began with a trickle, it begins to increase dramatically in depth about every third of a mile. 
every 1,000 cubits, the further the water got out from the temple, the further the water got out from the church, the deeper it began to get. This river is a vision that Ezekiel has that is flowing, and it flows all the way to the Dead Sea. As we know in Scripture and as we know geographically, the Dead Sea is dead. That's why they call it the Dead Sea. But by the time the water gets there, it begins to miraculously come to life, which is a picture of restoration. It's a picture of how when the river of God begins to flow in certain places, abundant life begins to appear. So the river begins to flow into the Dead Sea there, and we know in Scripture that many times that the water or the river is often tied to the life and then to the work of the Holy Spirit. So the river in his vision is ultimately the future evidence of the Holy Spirit of God working through his people. And the further we go with God, the deeper God gets in us. The further we walk with God, the deeper meaning of the things of God become to us. It's a shame to see a Christian saved on the same level for the past 15 years. The further you go with God, the deeper you ought to be getting with God because the more the river flows, the deeper that it's supposed to get. So it comes to us as a picture, or we could call it a lesson, on how the church should be modeling the way of the kingdom's life. So in Ezekiel's vision here, it's ultimately that future evidence of how the Holy Spirit has returned to his sanctuary. It has returned to its place of resident. It has returned to the household of faith. It has returned back to the church. And when it begins to flow out of the church, life begins to appear. It's a picture. It's a lesson. So we understand today. Now, I just want to put a couple new things here with you this morning that I found out that when I was reading this, I found it interesting that it wasn't called a river until after the fourth 1,000 unit of measure. The first unit of measure, 1,000 cubits, it only got ankle deep. The second 1,000 cubit of measure, it only got knee deep. The third 1,000 cubit of measure, it only got waist deep. But it was not until it got to the fourth 1,000 cubit of measure where the water, Ezekiel begins to call it a river. Do you realize that from Adam to Abraham is 2,000 years? Or we could say 2,000 cubits of measure, 1,000 one year, 2,000 the second year. From Abraham to Christ, it's another 2,000 years. One cubit of 1,000 measurement and another cubit of 1,000 of measurements. So the outpouring, we know, after the ascension of Christ, the Holy Spirit came. And he came to empower his people to do the work of the ministry. He came to empower the church to liberate cities, set families free, break the powers of bondage, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out devils. Going to find somebody to preach to in a minute. It was through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It was after the fourth after the 4,000 year, we know that on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit descended in that upper room, he began to give his people power to do what God called them to do. 
And after that, the Holy Spirit has been flowing. The Holy Spirit has been moving. I gave you some incredible stats last week that we won't take time to look at today. But as you know, it may not look like God's doing much in America. But according to the stats that I gave you last week, God is moving around the world. And the power of the Holy Spirit is getting deeper and deeper and deeper. Because the church is not dead. The church is alive. And it may, it may be dead in your house, it may be dead in your region, it may be dead in America, but I'm telling you around the world, it is not dead. The power of the Holy Spirit is moving. And what started out as a trickle became a flood. What started out as a trickle turned into a river. That's just a picture of what God is saying. I'm just taking it personal because I believe right here in Sugartown, right here in the Glades region, there can be a flood of God's presence that can invade this area like never before and see hearts and families turn back to the glory of God. Come on, push on somebody and tell them, revive us again. Jesus said in John 4, 14, whoever drinks this water, it'll be like a well springing up to life. It's a well that springs up to life. So we understand in Scripture that the Holy Spirit is moving through people. I'm about to get to where I'm going, then we're going to preach. The book of Ezekiel comes to us, as we know, about a nation that is in distress. It's a nation that is literally in the throes of a decline. It was in a religious decline. It was in a governmental decline. And it was literally in a family decline, pretty much like what's going on in our world today in America. It was in a decline because none of the designated spheres of authority in God's kingdom were holding to God's standards. None of the, none of the churches of Ezekiel's day, the church, the called out ones, was holding to the commandments of God. The government of God in those days was not holding to the commandments of God and families had ended up turning their back on the things of God. And so now, because they have turned their back on God, they are a nation that is in decline. They are spiritually bankrupt. They are in the struggle of their life. And I'm just making these comparisons because, ladies and gentlemen, we don't live in Africa where there's a move of God taking place. We don't live in China where by 2030 there will be more Christians in China than there are people in America. We don't live in Asia where it's blowing the, 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 the blocks off because the, the numbers of people that are being born again is astounding. It's staggering. We don't live there. We don't, we don't, we don't live in places like Iran that has, more, that has the fastest growing church in the world. Churches like this one, evangelical, non-denominational churches that are spirit-filled. It's blowing the doors off because there are more people that are being saved in Iran than there are people being saved all around the world in one setting. We don't live in places like that where the move of God is taking place, but we do live right here. We do live right here, and don't you think it's possible that God has entrusted us for such a time as this? Did it ever occur to you that we were born for such a time as this in the kingdom of God? Did you ever wonder why God put you in America? Did you ever wonder why God put you in the Glades region? Did you ever wonder why God put you in that family that you're in? It's not so that we can just throw it out and say, well, quesera, quesera, whatever it will be, will be. No, could it be that God is looking for a river to flow from? From his people into the places of the places that are dead. I believe that today. 
So Ezekiel has this vision of the river of God that's flowing, and God begins to speak to Ezekiel, who is now acting like a prophet in Babylon versus a priest in Jerusalem. When they were in Jerusalem before Nebuchadnezzar took over Babylon, before it fell, he was a priest. But now that he's living in exile with the people of God, he becomes a prophet. And God begins to speak to him prophetically. And I don't know how you view me, and it really don't matter. I'm just here as the word of the Lord to you today. You can call me a pastor, preacher, prophet, whatever. Call me whatever you like. But I feel like I've got a word for you today. And I feel like I am the voice of God over this area and this territory in your life today. And God is saying to us today, the days are over of just trying to make it through life. The days are over with just trying to get through the get through life in the mundane of every day. God is looking for people that will begin to rise in the midst of the chaos in the midst of a distressful nation and say, hey, you know what? There's a river flowing through us and we refuse to be a statistic. And all, out, all throughout Scripture, you find when God's name is no longer being exalted among his people or he doesn't become first, when God is no longer the priority of his people, and when his word is no longer taken seriously, you find that there are consequences that come with pushing God out. When God is not first, and he is not the only one that should be worshipped, we find ourselves at odds against God. The problem is, and if I can just pick on it, now I'm not picking on our nation because I don't love it. I'm grateful that I live in America. I've traveled the nations of the world. There ain't no place like home. Talk to me, Dorothy. Ain't no place. Ain't no place like home. I, I love America. That's why I'm contending for it. I love my nation. That's why I'm contending for it. I love the Glades region. That's why I'm contending for it. But, but, but you have to understand the problem is when you live in a nation where you can be rewarded for your talent and you can be rewarded for your natural abilities, after a while you start thinking you can do it without God. When you live in a nation that will award you just for being naturally gifted or talented, if you're not careful, if it's not brought into boundaries and in a way of subjection in your thinking, you begin to think that you pulled up your own bootstraps and you got there by yourself. <laughs> you get so used to being blessed that you begin to forget had it not been for the Lord on your side. Come on, talk to me up in here. And I'm just, I'm just trying to help us to understand that. that it, I, I remember somebody saying it years ago. I know Bishop Miller used it a lot. If you ever see a turtle on a fence post, you know he didn't get there by himself. <laughs> so when you begin to look around and you begin to see people successful, you have to know that they didn't just get there by themselves. And I know there's partners in life that we use. There's, there's resources in life that we use. But ladies and gentlemen, God gave you the breath to work in. God gave you the ability to handle it. God gave you the strength to muscle it through. So you have to understand that there's a greater power. There's a greater thing that's happening in your life other than just your natural abilities.
God had warned the children of Israel back in the days of Moses. He said that when, when, when they came out of the Egyptian bondage, don't forget who it was that got you here. Let me show you a couple of scriptures here just to validate it. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Guys in the back, if you'll help me. Deuteronomy chapter 6. It says, Then it shall come about when the Lord your God brings you into the land which he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you great and splendid cities which you did not build, houses full of good things which you did not fill, hewn cisterns which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant, and you shall eat and be satisfied. Here's the verse. Then watch yourself. That you don't forget the Lord who brought you into the land, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Don't forget the Lord who brought you out. The next verse says, and you shall not follow other gods or any gods of the people who surround you. In other words, if we don't watch it, if we don't take heed, We'll get so wrapped up thinking that we got here without God. I'm trying to help somebody today. I'm just using a nation as an example, but it works in your life. America didn't become great because of good government. America become great because it honored God. And God was the foundation of our nation. It's not that we don't have sin. It's not that we haven't messed up. It's not that we haven't blown it. But, ladies and gentlemen, what made America so good, what made America so prosperous, what made America so powerful was because it had God in the foundation of everything that we believe and stand for. The same is true for your family. If you have a good business, if you've got a good job, if you're working everything right, it's not just because you have all those things. There are things that God has done for you that you couldn't do for for yourself and he was warning the people of Israel when you come into a good place when you come into a place of blessing when you come into a place of prosperity don't think that you got there by yourself and be aware watch out don't forget it was the Lord your God who brought you up out of the places of slavery and sin it was God who was at work with you so we understand but you have to be careful I'm about to get to where I'm going you can't become lifted up in your own heart by saying it was by my, by my might and by my power that has gotten me this. You have to be careful. I'm just trying to throw a few warning signs out there this morning. You have to be careful because we are now living in a nation. Let me just use the word culture. We're now living in a culture that refuses to honor God. A God who has blessed us, that has brought us to a place of prosperity, brought us to the place of prominence. You know that there are other nations that are a whole lot older than America. America's only like 249, 50 years old. There are other nations that have been around for thousands of years, but ain't nobody blessed like America. God has been good to us, even though at times we have not been good to him. God has been good, even though at times we have been bad. 
And when you begin to look at the generations around us now, we begin to see this formation of thoughts and ideologies that are saying, God, we don't need you. We can take it from here. Now, that don't bother me when it's coming from the world, but it bothers me some kind of fiercely when it's coming through the church. It bothers me when the church begins to look like the culture they're called to deliver people from. And, and we have to be careful that we don't march to the drumbeat of the culture that we're called to deliver. You've got to be real careful. And it's a slippery slope. It's, it's, it's really, it's, it's, like, it's like the lines can get blurred because they're really close together. Because I don't believe that you've got to be mad at the culture to win the culture. I don't believe that you've got to hate the culture to win the culture. You've got to hate the sin of it. You've got to hate the things that make the culture what it is. But ladies and gentlemen, culture is made up of people. And when we begin to see people as a candidate to come out of darkness and into his marvelous light, it changes the way we think about a thing. So God warns the, warns the Israelites through Moses. He said, be careful that you don't go after other gods. Be careful that you don't become exalted in your own eyes. Be careful that you don't start saying, look what I've done. Pride comes before fall. But the Bible says they forgot. Not in their intellectual capacity to receive or retrieve information. They forgot in their hearts because they didn't believe they needed God anymore. This is where I want to break it down just a little bit. They ended up taking God out of their daily lives and practices like some folks do today. I'm not talking about the world. I'm talking about the church. Now we have a God who has been reduced to a ceremonial God only. To the point that we want God to be mentioned at our weddings. Just don't tell us how to live a married life. We want God there when we dedicate our children to the Lord. Just don't tell us how to raise them. Can't find no help in this Presbyterian church today. We want God at our funeral services. Just don't tell me how to live for him. Oh, here's one. We want prayer over our nation when there's a terrorist attack or when there's a plague called COVID-19 that breaks out. But just don't tell us how to walk and be submitted to God. And what we have done is we have reduced God to a ceremonial God, a feel-good God. We'll just use him when we need him. But ladies and gentlemen, this ain't the kind of God that we're talking about. He's not some distant deity. He's a living God. He's a right-now God. He's an ever-present help kind of God in your time of trouble and in your time of need. And what we need, that's why I'm declaring this, we need to be revived again. We need to be aware again that God is not out there somewhere in the Cosmos looking for a place to land. He dwells in the midst of his people. He's in the sanctuary of our hearts and he's wanting to release a river that begins to set people free everywhere we go. Come on, push on somebody and tell them revive us again. Revive us again. Revive us again. So now in our text, we're getting there. Now in our text, 
a nation finds themselves, watch this now, now they're not in an Egyptian bondage. Now they're in a rulership under King Nebuchadnezzar. Now they're in a Babylonian captivity. And Babylon has a long history in Scripture at being at odds with the people of God. Nebuchadnezzar, who is the king of Babylon, has conquered at this particular time in Ezekiel's day most of the known world. Then he gets to Jerusalem. He burns its gates. He mows over their buildings and their temples. And he begins to take the people captive. Nebuchadnezzar is a different kind of king because Babylon is a different kind of an empire. Other empires, such as the Syrians, whenever they captured you, they would skin you alive. Not Nebuchadnezzar. He's a different kind of empire. When the Persian Empire captured you, they were known for crucifying people. Not Nebuchadnezzar. He just took them captive. When the Egyptians, when the Egyptian Empire was in power, when they captured you, they would enslave you. And you would have taskmasters. But Babylon didn't do that. Nebuchadnezzar didn't do that. Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon was good at brainwashing. They were good at bringing people in and letting them have a measure of freedom, but still not a full measure. And Nebuchadnezzar, when he captured God's people and he brings them into a Babylonian culture, he begins to let the people of God, come on church, he begins to let them mix with his culture to the point that he starts changing their names. He changes their garments and he changes their diets. It's a picture of what's going on in our world today. It's not that the enemy is coming just to kill, steal, and destroy. He's bringing the church in to a place of captivity so that the church marries the culture. So the church begins to get along with the culture as in a sense that we like what you are and we want to be a part of what you are. And can I tell you, ladies and gentlemen, that is a setup for failure. That is a setup for suicide. Because once the church begins to marry the culture, then the church begins to no longer identify with a God who can bring them out. The church no longer begins to identify with a God that brought them this far to never to leave them. And so we start thinking because that's what Babylon does. It's the captivity of the mind. So Babylon begins to remove any, watch this now, this is historically fact. Babylon begins to remove any remembrance of anything that was connected to God. What's going on in our nation? The more we can push God out of it, the more the church will look like the culture. So Nebuchadnezzar captures an entire generation. Then he, then he goes after the young people. This is all found in the book of Daniel. He goes after the ones that are gifted, the ones that are talented. One translation says the ones that are good looking, and he brings them to himself, and he begins to mold them. He begins to train them. He takes the brightest and the best of a generation so he can indoctrinate them according to Babylonian ways so that the culture will be influenced by Babylonian thought.
thoughts and mindsets and ideologies. Hmm. Babylon is different because Babylon didn't hold you in bondage. Babylon was the imprisonment of the mind. In fact, the word Babylon, this will be on the screen for you, the word Babylon literally means confusion. It's the captivity of the mind. To us today, Babylon is symbolic of a world system. That's what Babylon is. Babylon had existed all the way through the book of Revelation. In New Testament times, it eventually becomes the spirit of the age. That's what Babylon is. Babylon, I'm going to preach in a minute. Y'all just hang out with me. Is that all right? Babylon deals with, with, with imagery. It deals with economics. It deals with politics. It deals with arts and systems that are designed to buy you out. Here it goes. Babylon pays for your silence. Babylon pays you to comply. As long as you don't say anything against Babylon, as long as you don't go against the grain, as long as you don't speak out against the spirit of Babylon, Babylon makes life comfortable for you. Can I just tell you what, the, what Ezekiel's day was dealing with is what we're dealing with in our day. It's a system born of the hearts of men that tries to make the church comply to things that are not godly to the point that we begin to twist Scripture to accommodate our own desires. Now we have a world in confusion because we have a world living in Babylon. And I get the world being in confusion, but I don't understand the church. When the church has a set of standards, when the church has some commandments, when the church has a way of life that we should be distinct from Babylon, there ought to be something different about us. Come on, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You ought to be able to be in Babylon and look at Nebuchadnezzar and say, hey, we're not going to worship your golden image. We're not going to bow down to whatever you throw up there. We will serve God and God alone. If you throw us in the fire, then throw us in the fire. But at the end of the day, just know that we serve the God, the sovereign monarch of the universe. And we refuse to bow our knee to a temporary man-made God. We were born with such a price of Jehovah living on the inside of us. And we are the king of the everlasting king. I wish somebody would just give God a praise right there. Come on, I just wish you would praise him right there. There's got to be a distinction. There's got to be a mark. There's got to be something on you. There's got to be something that makes you distinct from the people that are on their way to hell. So it buys you. The only reason... Why you can be bought is because you for sale. The, the, it, it's not a matter of are you for sale. At that point, it's just a matter of what's your price. What's your price? People sell out for comfort. Come on, talk to me. People sell out for comfort. People will sell out. They will sell their birthright for a bowl of beans. I was talking to some preachers the other day here in Florida. Of course, we know there's a, a rise of 
COVID spikes that's going on in Florida. And that's because everybody's moving to Florida. <laughs> that's just my theory. That's not truth. I'm, not, I'm just saying that's my theory. There's a rise in COVID spikes, and, and there's families in here that, that got family members that are dealing with COVID or have, has had COVID, and we're standing and we're agreeing, we're praying. I want to tell you something, ladies and gentlemen, COVID don't shut the church down. Yeah, I thank all three of y'all's golf cart court claps. <laughs> it don't shut the church down. Do you realize even in our church, every, every air condition on our campus, we got $16,000 worth of antivirus. What do you call it, Greg? What's it? It's, uh, Chris, it's a halo, a halo, antivirus system in our air conditioned duct. $16,000. You safer in here than you are at Walmart. So I was telling some pastors the other day, I said, what you going to do with all this spike that's going to, y'all going to shut your, shut your church down? I said, the devil is a lie. I said, we ain't walking through that. He said, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? I said, we're just going to keep doing what we've always been doing. We've been doing this. We ain't shutting down. Come on, you got to talk to me. We're not shutting down because the, the most essential thing on the planet is not a vaccine. The most essential thing on the planet is the power of a living God that flows through the lifeblood of his people. It's the most essential thing in the universe. <laughs> but if you're not careful, careful, you become comfortable with the culture. You start giving in to it. You compromise here a little bit. You start compromising over there a little bit. Next thing you know, you're compromising even your basic doctrinal beliefs. To the point, this is what happened in Babylon, to the point that when Jeremiah, the prophet, came along and he began to prophesy to the people, he says, you're going to be in Babylon for 70 years and then you would come out. But because of the influence of Babylon, of people being ingrained in that culture for 70 years, even when they had the chance to be free, when they had the chance to come out after 70 years, hardly anybody left because they become so indoctrinated to the culture. Can you imagine living in a place 70 years without the glory of God? 70 years without the power of God. 70 years without any worship service. 70 years without celebrating any of the feasts. 70 years in a culture, a climate that was anti-God. Can you imagine living in places like that? I can't imagine that because I believe that as long as the church has breath. Come on, Pastor Mark talked about As long as God is breathing on the church, then the church has the ability to release the power of God over society until we begin to shift things. Come on, I'm just trying to help us understand we're not intimidated by death. Devils. We're not intimidated by sickness and disease. We were born for this fight. We were born for what we've been called to do. We are anointed to overcome in the name of Jesus. That's why we're here. I was talking to these same group of pastors, and we were talking, and they're going, man, how you know, everything's so tough, and everything's just really hard to get by, and, you know, we just don't know what we're going to do. And I'm like, 
Why, why are we surrendering? Why are we throwing in the towel? Don't you realize we were born for the generation that we have been called to? This is not a mistake by God. God didn't just say, uh-oh, I didn't mean to put y'all there. I should have put you when it was easy. But no, God said, I've got confidence in my people. i got confidence in the church that in the midst of chaos, in the midst of confusion, there's a church that will rise. We're born for it born to overthrow the powers of hell. So it gets to the point, here we go, going, just get to where I'm going. In the next eight minutes, miracles are going to happen in the last days. <laughs> Our problem is spiritual because we have become, we have become culturalized by Babylon. To the point that if we're not careful, the church won't even fight for the glory. The, the people in this room that are really close to me, most of our pastoral teams, our staff, they know I, I don't do ordinary very good. I, I like, I like, I, in fact, I thrive under pressure. That's just my makeup. That's the way I do. I just, I don't even Christmas shop until Christmas Eve. I thrive under pressure. I got to feel the pressure. Let me feel the weight, and then I'll start, I'll start producing. Until I feel the weight, it ain't nothing. <laughs> but once I start feeling the weight, of, then I begin to get activated. I begin to get busy. That's why for me, just coming to a church service, just say that we punched in our spiritual religious clock, just to say we went to church, that don't do nothing for me. If God's glory don't show up, if his power doesn't become evident, I'm not in it. I don't want to be a part. I don't want to be a part of some dead, cold, doubly plucked up by the roots kind of people. I want to be around some people who understand we've got some fire. we got the power of the Holy Spirit that's moving on the inside of us. Woo, I like what Smith Wigglesworth said years ago. He said, if God don't move, then I move God. And he wasn't making that, that statement like he was conceited or just like high-minded. He was just saying, I've got faith inside of me that God put there. And when there's nothing happening, I just begin to believe God in different dimensions. I begin to believe God in different settings. That's why when we come up in here, ladies and gentlemen, we don't come in here just to put in our little religious clock and say, hey, we went to church Sunday. No, we come up in here believing that when we show up, something's going to shift. When we show up, something's going to break. When we show up, something's going to move. Something's going to comply. Under the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Push on somebody and tell them, revive us again, God. Revive us. So here Ezekiel gets a word from God, all right? The whole nation's in confusion. Ezekiel gets a word from God. Because God always starts with his house. He always starts with his house before he starts in the courthouse. God always starts in his house before he starts at the White House. God always starts with the chaos in his house before he starts with the chaos in the land. God always tries to settle the confusion in his house before he settles the confusion out there. He starts in his house. The theme of his message, as you've been here, if you've been here, the theme of Ezekiel's message is that the nation has to take moral responsibility for its own calamity. That prophetic word didn't go to the world. It went to the people of God. We have to take responsibility. The, the condition of our land is the condition of the church. 
So when the church begins to take ownership of its own sin, that's really what this message was about. When the church begins to take ownership of its own sin that has compounded and been brought together in, in, a, in a system that has now broke the bank, so to speak, to the point that God no longer can take the sin of his people, he lets an evil empire come in and take them captive. And Ezekiel is prophesying to a despondent, disconnected, disjointed group of people. And he's trying to tell them that if we're going to get the things right in our world, we got to get the things right in our house. Until the kingdom of God and the priorities of God are fixed in here, we can't order the priorities of God to a culture out there. Judgment always begins in the house of the Lord first. That's what the Bible teaches us. And could it be that the reason why there's no water flowing into our nation, there's no water flowing into our streets, into our families, is because there's no water flowing out of the house. Until we can get water coming out of the aisles of the church, it's going to be hard-pressed to get it into the streets of our neighborhood. Amen. So that was Ezekiel's message. He says, we got to get it right, guys. we got to make it right. we got to begin to shift the things in our own house because if God's presence is not evident among us, it will never be evident out there. Whew, can I pick on you just for a moment? That's why when we come up in here, I'm telling you, when we come up in here, this place ought to be electrified. When we come up in here, man, this place ought to be vibrating with the glory and the presence and the power of God. I know you may have had a tough week, and I know you got things going on in your life, but ladies and gentlemen, had it not been for the Lord on my side, I don't know where any of us would be. So we just come up in here. We don't come up here to think about what we've been through or what we had to overcome. We come up in here and we say, Lord, look what the Lord has done. God has been good to us, and I refuse to back up on him now. I just say that because if we can't get fired up in here, you're going to struggle out there. Woo, talk to me up in here. If this is just a religious, mundane, punch in your religious spiritual clock and say, well, we went to church and, man, that was a good time. That was a great service. But we go out there and we look like dead driftwood. I'm just trying to tell you that ain't the way God's orchestrated us. That's not the way God designed us. Whatever kind of fire we got in here, we put that fire out there. Whatever kind of river is flowing in here, we let it flow out there. That's why the church has to be revived. Amen. I want to show you a couple things here. Um, there was a, a guy by the name of John Wesley who was actually the founder of the, Meth of the Methodist movement, which is the founder of the Methodist church as we know it today. And he had a lot going on in his time period in the 1700s. How many know that the distinctive purpose of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is to empower the church for ministry? That, that will be on the screen there if you guys can just find it. It's the distinctive purpose of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is to empower the church for ministry. In other words, the purpose of the Holy Spirit, the river of God, is so that the church will heal the land. Amen. But in 1738, England had been plagued by several things that was creating a lot of fear. Let me just show you some of these things that were going on in England in 1738 that became main concern for England. Number one, there was the fear of terrorism. This is in 1738 to remind you, okay? Biblical thinking was gone from society. This is in 1738. Evangelicalism was under attack. 
No clear doctrine. Number five, skepticism and cynicism was at an all-time high. Financial crookedness and poverty was raging the land. Number seven, there was widespread addictions. Mm, think about that. Number eight, there was high sickness rate, COVID-19. Number nine, gambling. Anybody hit the lotto this week? Please remember the Lord when you come into your kingdom. <laughs> Bring your tithes into the storehouse. <laughs> Number 10, there was lawlessness. Think about it. That was all going on in 1738. You could just copy and paste that to America. That's what's going on in our land today. These things were in the land. They were in the atmosphere, and they were prevailing ideologies and mentalities of that day. And historians have proven and credited John Wesley, who lived during that time, that his preaching against these things in his nation saved his nation. That's a historical fact. Historians have said because of what he stood against, what he believed God for, literally saved his nation. John Wesley saw it as a kairos moment, a window, a moment of opportunity. Can I tell you what's before us right now is a moment. It's a window of opportunity for the church to rise. This ain't a time to play hide and go seek. This is the time to say we are coming after everything that's not of God. And we're coming with all the power and the energy of the Holy Spirit. To the point that his preaching, which has took off in the land, and he birthed the first great awakening that lasted nearly 200 years after that. Whew, can you imagine? Can you imagine if just one church in America got turned on and stood against the powers of hell? Maybe we could spark another great awakening. Maybe the church will become revived again. My point in saying all that is if Wesley could do it in his day, I believe there's enough people who can say we'll do it in our day. God will take up the mantle. God will carry the torch, and we'll do it in our day. If you can move in England in the 1700s with the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ and see the plagues broken, see people come out of fear and distraught and a nation in distress, I believe you can do it right here in my home. You can do it in my family. You can do it in my neighborhood. You can do it in my nation. This is what John Wesley said. I know we got to go. It's 12. This is what John Wesley said. He said, this will be on the screen. He says, give me 100 men, and I'm going to add women in there. Give me 100 men and women who love only God with all their hearts and hate only sin with all their heart, and we will shake the gates of hell and bring the kingdom of God in one generation. Oh, God, is there anybody that wants to be revived again? Is there anybody who wants to see God move again in their nation and in their family? Come on, if you're a candidate for that, you ought to jump up on your feet and say, God, revive us. God, revive us. God, revive us again. Come on, I'm going to give you a chance. I feel like you're a little weak right there. I'm through preaching, so you might as well jump up and say, God, revive us. God, revive us. God, do it again in my day. 
You can remain standing. There's a uh, there's several things that was going on in the life of Ezekiel during this time period about what that river was doing and what that river meant. See, the problem when the church no longer sees the world of sin as an enemy, we start complying. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to a people. We don't have time to go back and recover a whole lot of ground. This is our fifth message in this, and we talked a lot about what sin looks like and what sin is. But there's an alarm going off in my spirit as it relates to the Western churches. Because if not careful, we have been lulled into passivity, and we think it's normal. And we have to be careful that what God calls sin and ugly, not good, we don't mix those words to comply to a culture in the name of love and compassion. Ain't nobody loves people more than God and gave his life for people. He would never bend or change. In fact, if you read the New Testament, when Jesus caught the woman in adultery, when he caught the woman in adultery and the religious leaders were there who literally were a part of it, it was a setup, it was a scam. But when Jesus looks at that woman, he didn't condemn her. But he did say this, go and sin no more. Because what you're doing is sin. He didn't say, well, just come on, you've had a bad upbringing, you had a bad childhood, life didn't treat you right. No, he just, he said, I'm not going to condemn you because I love you, but I am going to tell you, don't go and do that anymore because that ain't good for you. But now we're living in a world where we just want to compromise and we want to make people feel good about their sin. And you, sin will take you further than where you want to go. The wages of sin is death. It'll take you there. It'll take you there. And, and you can just roller coaster for a while, but I'm telling you, you're dying on the inside. Dying. So, and that was the point of Ezekiel. And, and he gets to this, this river thing and he sees this spirit of God moving like a river out of the church. And, and, and the further that river got, the deeper it got. I want, I want to get to the end of my life, and I want God to look at me and say, well done. I don't want to be shallow 20 years from now. I don't want to keep living in ankle-deep water, knee-deep water, waist-deep water. I want to get in waters that are over my head. I want to get so lost in God that you can't tell where I end and God begins. I want waters to swim in. Waters of the Holy Spirit. Ezekiel has this vision, and I know we need to go, but just, you don't have to, you can take pictures of it, whatever. I'm not even going to preach them, but he has this vision 
And there's five prophetic insights about this river. Number one, Jesus is the door to the river. The Bible says, and he brought me again to the door. There's only one door to God. Our culture will say there's many doors. There's only one door. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the door. In fact, Jesus says, if any man comes through any other door, he's a thief. Got to come through me. (laughs) We're living in the culture. Listen, I refuse to back up on Jesus. I refuse to back up on Jesus. Everybody can say God this and God that, but ladies and gentlemen, if they don't put Jesus in it, it's pretty neutral. But the moment you put Jesus on it, you have just identified yourself. Number two, the, the river flows from the altar. That's what he said. He said the, it was flowing from the south side of the altar. Just know, just know today that it began to flow from the altar. If anything's going to live in your life, it better be flowing from an altar. An altar is a place of dedication. It's a place of consecration. An altar is a place of commitment. It's a place of sacrifice. If you're going to have anything living in your life, you better have an altar life. Have we gotten so busy in our fast-paced society that we don't even make room at the altar for God anymore? Much less in our own homes. When was the last time you just had your little spiritual prayer closet? And you just pulled yourself aside and you spent time with him. That's an altar. What made Abraham so powerful in his day was because he was a frequent altar builder. He always had altars in his life. You show me a struggling Christian, I'll show you somebody that don't have an altar. But he said that the river flowed from the altar. Are you so busy? That you don't dedicate nothing to him anymore? You know what I found out in in my own personal life? When I've got an altar, I don't listen to stupid music. I'm not going to pay people to cuss me while they sing. I'm not going to pay people to teach me how to cheat on my wife. Y'all not helping me in here. When I have an altar in my life, I found out I treat my family better. My wife just said, that's right. That's right. That's right. Amen. Preach. But we get so busy. And I know it. I'm caught up in it too. Man, we got a lot going on on campus. We got a lot going on. We got, we got 200 people on this campus every single day of the week, and it is a juggling act. Sometimes I feel like an octopus on roller skates. I mean, there's stuff flying and things moving around. We got a lot going on. I get it. I get it. Life is busy. It's really busy. My day, every day starts at 4.30. Every single day starts at 4.30. It don't matter if I go to bed at 2 o'clock in the morning. It still starts at 4.30. I understand busyness. I get it. I really do get it. But you know what? The greatest pleasure in my life is not what I do out here. It's what he does in here. That comes from an altar. Let me just give you these other ones. Number, number three, there's life and healing in the river. 
It said that that river flowed into the Areva, which was the most driest desert place on the planet. It's the valley between Jerusalem and the Dead Sea. That river was flowing into a desert. It eventually made its way into the Dead Sea. You know the Dead Sea is the Dead Sea because it has more salt content than any other place in the world. Ten times greater salt than even the oceans. And the Dead Sea is not even an ocean. It's really, it's really a lake. But it has so much content in it of salt. And the reason why they call it the Dead Sea, because there's, this is a known fact. You can Google it. You can research it. 37 contributaries flow into the Dead Sea, but nothing flows out. If everything just flows into you and never flows out, you start drying up. You ever had anybody in your life that was just a Dead Sea saint? <laughs> they'll take something, but they'll never give nothing. They'll take a praise, but they'll never give a praise. I'm waiting on you. They'll take forgiveness, but they'll never give forgiveness. Those are some Dead Sea saints. But when that river began to flow, I'm telling you, this is the river of the Holy. When it began to flow, this is a picture of what the power of restoration can do. When that river began to flow into that Dead Sea, when that river hit that Dead Sea, things began to come to life again. It's a picture of the church. It's a prophetic picture. Everything gets revived. Everything gets healed. Everything begins to get delivered. Let me just give you number four, and there's only one more after that. The river is for everybody. He said there's going to be all kinds of fish in this river. Let me just say this. I don't know we don't have to keep qualifying it, but I just want to say this because people try to tag and label me at certain times with certain things, and I just, just so you'll know that, here, let me just say, this, this is what I'm trying to tell you. This is how I put it in my notes. If you're looking for a white river, a black river, or a Hispanic river, or a Democratic river, or a Republican river, it don't exist. There's only one river, and that's the yes, river of God. Yes, yes. That's the river of God. <laughs> Somebody said not too long, he said, well, you just, a, you, you just, you just one of them pastors, and you just a white pastor. I go, what? What do you mean a white pastor? I can't help it. I'm white. I didn't have no choice, and neither did you. I can't help it that I'm white. I'm not a white pastor. I'm a whosoever will pastor. <laughs> you look around this room, boy, there is some ethnic groups up in this house. This house is not lily white. You might have a lily white pastor with some chocolate pudding on the inside, but I'm telling you, that's about all you got right there. White church, black church, Hispanic church. How shallow is that? He said, when this river gets in to that place where nothing's living, man, you're going to see all kinds of fish in that river. There's going to be all kinds of people there swimming around in that river. That's the river that we're going after. We're not going to label this any kind of white church, black church. We are the river of God kind of church. And the last one, so we can go, the last one, not everybody will desire to get into the river. I'm convinced that there are people that they're just not going to get wet. <laughs> they're just not going to get wet. They just, 
They just ain't going to do it. They're not going to get into the river. Do you know that most of the deserts and the marshes in our land didn't start out that way? They became that way when the river stopped flowing to them. They began to dry up. Deserts began that way. That's how deserts began, when there was no water coming to it. When there's no flow of the Holy Spirit coming into your life, it's just a matter of time. You're going to start drying up. And you know what, for me, it's sad to be in the church where there's no river. But it's even worse yet to be in the church where there used to be a river, but there ain't one now. That's why I'm going to fight for the river of God. I'm going to fight for the water of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I've got natural daughters here, natural son-in-laws here, but I've got spiritual sons and spiritual daughters, Karen and I do, all over this place. And here, you know what? It'll be a cold day in Hades before I give up the river of God because I believe that the thing that people need in their life is they need the river of God flowing through them. They need the power of God being manifested through them. Amen? So we're calling for a river. Come on, look at your neighbor and say, let's go deeper. Let's just go deeper. Let's just go deeper. Come on, lift your hands all over the building. Come on, lift your hands. Come on, we're going to go. We're going to go. We're going to make room to go. Come on, just say, God, I want to go deeper. I want that river to flow through me. Come on, open up your mouth. Open up your heart and just begin to say, God, flow. Come on, flow, God. God, we need it today. God, we need it today. Out of your belly shall flow rivers. Rivers of the living God. school starts this week, multiple schools, the public schools, the Christian schools, even schools in our region. And we want to take a moment and pray over teachers and administration, all those that are part of that. I believe this can be one of the healthiest school years our region has ever seen. I believe that. opportunity that we have, especially all those that are working in the school system, you you, you get to become God's firebrand in a Babylonian culture. You you get to go there and you get to love on kids and you need to tell them, listen, you may have to teach evolution, but then when you get through teaching, that's what man says, but this is the truth. Just lost all my amens. I'm just telling you, I'm just telling you. The indoctrination centers of our day are our school systems. But I believe we can change that. Yes. Because we're not just going to teach whatever. I'm not going to tell a five-year-old he can choose whatever gender he wants. Come on. No, you were plumb with the right identity. You boy or girl. Amen. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to pray. But i got to do this. And they're going to just worship whatever is on their heart. But you're in this place today, and you say, you know what? I'm believing God for that river to flow through me. Because I've got an assignment on my life. I've got purpose. I've got destiny inside of me. And 
I want to release that river. If, there, if you're in this place, just throw your hand up right there where you are. Say, God, I want to release. I need to be revived, and I want that river to flow. Come on, just come on, raise your hand. Just believe in God. Just believe in God. Just believe in God. So come on, we're just going to pray while every hand hands are raised. God, as people begin to move in their life, move in their journey, God, we pray for the river of God. Come on, can you just pray? Let the power of the Holy Spirit flow through people's lives today. Lord, we pray today, we pray today that the power and the ministry of the Holy Spirit will begin to flow and go in the name of Jesus. God, we call right now for a righteous movement in your people. We call for the saints of God to be revived again in the name of Jesus. God, we, we speak to every attitude, every ideology, every prevailing thought now in the name of Jesus. We break its grip. We bind its power off of people's lives in the name of Jesus. And God, we will not give in to a Babylonian culture, but we will be the river of God in the midst of chaos. We will be the river of God in the midst of distress. We will be the river of God in the midst of the dying and the decaying. Father, in the name of Jesus, come on, just stir that up inside of you for a moment. Just stir that up and say, God, revive us. Revive us. Revive us again. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Now let's do this. I just want your help if you would. If you're, if you're in a school system, it doesn't matter where you teach, where you administer at, wherever you are. I want you, just want you to come down to the altar. We're going to pray over you. We're going to believe for impact over your life as you teach kids, as you train kids. Pastor Tina, why don't you come out? Would you help me pray? I'm just going to pray over teachers, administration, faculty, all of those things. Come on, come on. Look, look at all these educators in here. Come on, look at all this. Just people from all over, people from all over, people from all over. Just we, We're going to go into school systems. We're going to go like, 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 like a John the Baptist. We're going to go into those places, and we're going to declare. We're going to declare there's a king coming, and you can be a part of this movement. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. This, this is a great representation all over this county and all over this region. We're going to believe God to turn it. I believe this. I've been praying for this for a long time. It's already happening at the middle school. Pastor Tina can testify that. I believe yeah. schools can turn. Hallelujah. Schools can turn for the glory yeah. of God. They can turn. They can turn. And we can see a generation of young people raised and poised with the gift of God on the inside of them and not be talked out of their faith. So I just speak over you. Don't be intimidated of your faith. Release it loud, release it strong. Don't buy into Babylon. Babylon will pay you to be quiet. We're not going to be quiet. We're going to be vocal. I'm going to live out my faith. Amen? Come on, Pastor Tina. You know, when the Lord gave me a scripture, Matthew, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, Mark 11, it said, if you say to your mountain, move. Right? And the Lord, how I many you know, this is the mountain of education. It's one of the major influences. So whatever you say can happen in your mountain. Do you believe that? So why don't you just lift your hands because listen, you were there for a reason. You were there to be salt and light. You were not there to conform to Babylon. You were not there to look like everybody else. There is a purpose that you were there. There are children that have been assigned to you and what comes out of your mouth will change the destiny of those children. It will change them. I had a mentor that said, it was Bishop Miller. He said, you can get anywhere in the world from Highway 27. I believed him. Amen. 
That's who you are. That is the power that is inside of you, and you have to believe that. You're not just punching a time clock. You're not just working for a system. You are salt and light. So, Father, I just declare that, Father, over everybody that's in here today. Father, that we will rise up, Father, as who we are for such a time as this, Father. I speak life, Father. Father, I speak healing, Father. Lord, I come against a spirit of fear in the name of Jesus. You've not given us a spirit of fear, but you have given us power, love, and a sound mind, Father. And I declare that over every single educator in this room, Father, that we will not kowtow, Father, to the propaganda and to all the stuff that's coming out, Father, but we would be wise, Father, wise as serpents, harmless as doves, Father. I declare that over us, Father. I declare that that your love would come forth, Father. As Pastor Chuck said, Lord, that people couldn't tell, Father, where we ended and you began, Father. Lord, let us speak your love, Father. Let us be who you've called us to be, Father. Father, as we reach out and, and touch people, Lord, I thank you that people will be clothed and put in their right mind. I just see us that peace comes out of your hands. Peace comes out of your mouth. How many of you know that students are coming to us and they are troubled? Yeah. They are confused, right? right? And your mouth and your hand upon them will, um, will heal them. It really will. And so, Father, we just thank you for that today, Father. God, I thank you for reports, God, that will come forth, Lord God. Father, that yes. lives will be changed, Father. Lives will be changed, Father, because of your love and because of your people that you have put in place, Father, to, to, to put your footprint. This is what the Lord told me about Clouston Middle School. You know, I, I, I begin to pray and just say, Lord, I want to release your authority at Clouston Middle School. And we did get great scores back. But the Lord told me that's just the gravy because the real testimony is that his authority has been released. Come on, can you agree? So everything else is just the gravy, and that's who we are. We can't sit back and just say, you know, all of the educational systems are going, you know, going opposite because you're called. You're part of that, right? And we're called to shift that, and we're called to change that. And there's a generation that's at stake that's depending upon you. So, Father, we just declare your glory this year in our educational systems in Jesus' name.
we just speak and declare that today as we go. Lord, you make all things new. And we're following you forward into every purpose, every assignment. We're not living by distractions. We're not living by chaos. We're not living by disorder. I speak that over your home. Speak that over your life. I speak that over your family today. And we declare it in Jesus' name. And everybody together said amen. Amen, amen. God bless you. Love on somebody real good. Don't forget Tuesday night. It's